When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40 gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control or Docker containers, who doesn't love that? Encrypted disks and VPNs. Plus, they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like backups, node balancer, and Longview to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files, and you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code JavaScriptJabber2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code again is JavaScriptJabber2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com slash careers to see their available positions. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode I Have No Idea of the Adventures in Angular podcast. <laughs> uh, I'm your host, Joe Eames, and today on our panel, we have uh, Shai Hi-Rez. <laughs> Shai Hi-Rez? Wow, that's a commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go with that. Shai Hi-Rez. Hi-Rez. Hi-Rez.io. Hi, Shai Rez. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is me. I'm Shai Hi-Rez. Um, uh, with from the company Resnick, and <laughs> I'm Hi. I'm talking to you from a, a very hot place uh, where it comes like it's raining all the time, but it's super hot. You may think I'm in Thailand, but no, it's a crazy day here in Israel. So, yeah, <laughs> and also on our panel we have Alyssa Nickelodeon. Hey everybody, that's a great one. I like that one. <laughs> I'm going to try not to be too loud to bust your eardrums. <laughs> awesome. And then as our special guest, we have Yaakov Fein. Hello, guys. This is Yaakov Fein from New York. And so we are here today to talk about Angular and Java, a marriage, a match made in heaven. But before we get started into that, Yaakov, I think we want to spend a little time and just kind of get to know you. So could you give us a little bit of your background, your experience? and um, Okay. Uh, that, all that, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, so I work as Java developers for at least 18 years. And uh, during the last four or five years, I also started using um, front-end frameworks and, and Angular, of course. Uh, I was awarded with the title Java Champion many years ago. I wrote a bunch of books many of them on Java, but some of them are on web development. And uh, recently, like a year uh, year ago, Manning published our book, myself and my colleague, Angular Development with TypeScript, and um, the book was selling well. So now we did the second edition of this book, and it's about to be released by Manning. So that's about it. I do, I do lots of trainings in Angular. I do consulting, so... That's my background. I work for the company called Parata Systems. Awesome. So I must say, uh, Yarkov, that um, I'm kind of starstruck because you might uh, not know that uh, this, but we actually met in person, really? I think, seven years ago. Really? Uh, where you came in the, uh, to do a Flex lecture in Israel. Oh, yeah. I was speaking on Flex some years ago, right? Agree. Yeah. Agree. So but 
But back then, you've been not that famous, I guess. I, I I'm still not that famous, but you <laughs> you you were my idol in Flex, and I learned a lot from you. So first of all, thank you for all the good work uh, you did back then. You are welcome. Unfortunately, yeah. Flex is out of the picture, and this was one of the reasons I'm in anger now. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> Actually, I can tell you the story of what happened with our company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I we are doing Flex Adobe Flex for. Many years, starting from 2005, six, I believe. Six, yeah. Six, right. And uh, it's, a, it's a great framework. It still is, but it requires Flash Player as a VM. And Flash Player, as you might have heard, is not that popular these days. So, and no. I, I was involved with a large project. I'm, st- I'm still involved with it. It's like insurance app for people who sell insurance. And mm-hmm. the front end was done in uh, Adobe Flex. And knowing that uh, Flash Player is going out, we started to look at the replacement. And we tried many different frameworks. Like five years ago, we started different frameworks in JavaScript to replace Flex. We tried uh, AngularJS. Uh, I don't know if you will like what I say, what I'll say, but I, don't, I didn't like it. Get tried, out. <laughs> yeah, it was AngularJS. It's a different framework. No, no, no. Let's stop the podcast. Okay. Shy, do you know that Angular is absolutely <laughs> different framework than AngularJS? <laughs> Have you heard of it? No, no. For me, they are, <laughs> those are There's the same. There, there can be only one. <laughs> All right. Uh, as a matter of fact, you didn't like JavaScript either, to be honest with you. Uh, Adobe Flex was using the language called ActionScript. ActionScript was actually what was supposed to be um, ECMAScript 4 spec, which never made it, but the language uh, is alive and doing well. So uh, we tried other frameworks, for example, there's a huge framework called XJS, which can do lots of things. But what we noticed, whatever Java frame, JavaScript framework we pick, the productivity of our developers would drop tremendously. And we have only senior developers. We are a small company, like 35 people maybe. And we noticed the productivity dropped. And finally, like three years ago, I started working with Angular. It was in alpha versions back then. And uh, this combination of Angular and TypeScript finally gave us a hope. And we started um, working with it. And we started moving some code from Flex to Angular and TypeScript. And it works really good. I spent three years with this Angular 2 and above. And uh, never regret it. Wow. So you went through all the RC5 shenanigans mm-hmm. uh, back then. Wow. That must have been painful. But, um, but that's, that's a great point that you, that you raised. That, um, because I keep telling people, I, I'm also uh, like coming from large-scale projects in Flex uh, with Java and with like different be- uh, backends and Coming to JavaScript, I had the same experience. I, I felt like for like I had two sides. One was super happy that I don't have to write all that code in order to do a simple thing uh, in JavaScript. But another side of me was, where the hell are my types? So how can I know that you know what the entity that I'm getting is like? Where is my dot completion? Where like all the refactoring? 
That's no, so I'm... funny that you say that. I started out learning Flex actually and ActionScript. And when I moved to JavaScript, I was like, freedom. Like it was amazing. Mm-hmm. So I can't believe you're the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and f- ever since I ke- kept telling p- people, like when I found about uh, Angular, so Angular was pretty s- like the the, the s- uh, most similar framework that I saw to Flex where with the directives. And actually, I think Mishko talked about that some of the inspiration to that came from MXML and stuff like that, like for directives and stuff like that. But it also incorporated stuff from Java, like Benz Injection and uh, all that stuff. And I kept saying with the new Angular, uh, and actually made a, like a video about it, uh, that it's built for large scale. Like it has all the characteristics for a large scale framework that uh, people could work on large teams and large projects and or lar- large uh, products and people can kept doubt, doubting that so i'm really really glad that we have yakov here with uh lots of experience with large scale projects for <laughs> a couple of years uh to to share his experience so what is your experience in terms of like the um the the experience with angular and if you can share more details about like the scope of the projects like how big are there how many developers are working on that and you know all that stuff yeah the project is pretty large i don't know how many thousands lines of code is there but uh, a couple of hundred thousands definitely the project is being uh, worked on since 2009 developers uh, probably between 15 and 20 people work on it, so a pretty large, large app. The backend is done in Java. All build tools are from the Java community. On the server side, we use Java and Spring, different databases, messaging, and everything. Uh, we use uh, Jenkins for um, for builds, for automated continuous integration. And front-end, uh, as I said, we are slowly moving to Angular. We actually use it as an opportunity not just to migrate the existing app as is, but we are rethinking different different, uh, things and uh, uh, it gives us a chance to to create a better product. Uh, So, uh, and, uh, but first of all, Angular is a good fit for creating full-fledged apps, for creating a single-page app which is great, and I will not repeat uh, all these uh, nice features that Angular has and tooling. So on one hand, it's great that you can build a a single-page app in Angular. On the other hand, uh, this is a a weak point of Angular up to version 6. In version, uh, I explain why. The thing is that there are reasons... uh, to use only widgets on existing websites. And this is where Angular is not that great. If you want to take an existing web page written in JavaScript or in any other framework, and you want to put a widget in there written in Angular, it was difficult. And a really killer feature that I'm looking for in Angular 6 is this Angular Elements. And we already started. We want to offer, once again, our app is software service. So people can subscribe to it. 
But now we started, actually we just started creating widgets that people can use in their existing apps. In my opinion, Angular Elements is a super killer feature for Angular, which open which will open lot, lots of doors in the enterprise. Even though the, the doors are, are already wide open, based on my experience and based on what I see, based on uh, training classes and workshop I run for large, really large clients. And I can tell you that mm, it's unusually well received uh, Angular in the Java community. So why? Why? You said unusually well received. Yeah. Why do you? What do you call? What would you call that? As why? Why do you? Why would you call it unusually well received? I, I can explain. I, I'm. I over my career, I've been teaching lots of different classes on different software. Uh, it, I, I'm not shy, and I can tell you that I'm a good uh, trainer. So typical. Usually, people like my classes, but but. Wait, wait. Well, Does that mean that I'm not a good teacher? Why? <laughs> that was the first thought. I was like, wait, did he just say he's not shy or like S-H-I? Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh-huh. I am shy was a different spell. Shy oh, okay. meaning yeah, <laughs> modest, modest person. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. To avoid c- confusion, uh, let me use as injection token the word modest. Because see, <laughs> we, use, we use the token shy. That's why you shouldn't inject into strings, right? Because people yeah. may have different understanding of what shy is. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm a modest person. No, I am not a modest person. Uh, and my classes usually run well. But when I teach Angular, I see that people are happy. I explain, I explain you why. The reason is, in my opinion, that Java community in general for the last 20 years, looks down on JavaScript. Like it's not a language, it's a toy, it's ugly. And all these presentations, like what? I have definitely been told that before. I've actually been told that I'm not a real developer because right, right, uh, I right. use JavaScript. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is so funny to hear to hear this now, now that I see what's going on in the front end and how big of an ecosystem it is and how much of tooling and dependencies and packages is in here. So many of Java developers still live in the last century thinking that Java is a real thing only, and uh, JavaScript is just a toy to create nice little menus of different colors. And uh, uh, the other reason I think that many of Java developers in the past were trying to learn JavaScript and they didn't succeed, and they see that um, I mean, you can easily uh, you can easily go in the wrong direction and inability to see compilers error and uh, as Shai said, uh, like uh, autocomplete and uh, put them immediately into uncomfortable environment. So they they run back uh, quickly run back to Java and they say the JavaScript is bad. But uh, in this case, when they see the framework which is a component-based, clean separation, classes, everybody understands what class is, I mean, every Java developer, uh, interfaces, uh, generics, uh, enumerations, all that is very familiar. And uh, clean separation between TypeScript code and HTML and CSS, everything is clean. Ability to do unit testing, ability to do end-to-end testing, 
excellent built tools, ability to quickly start thanks to Angular CLI, ability to, to press the button and the old bundles are built and optimized in no time. Start the dev server and keep, wor keep working in the OIDE and everything is being recompiled. So everything is convenient. I mean, it's, so that's why I think Java developers are happy and they started to get a feeling that now, finally, they can do decent uh, front end uh, in, that can work in browser as a JavaScript without the need to write JavaScript. Nice. I was wondering if, if you've noticed that as Java developers for the first time are moving in, I know you talked about this a little bit, do they have a harder time getting to JavaScript or in getting into Angular? JavaScript. JavaScript is a main uh, obstacle, in my opinion. And uh, to be honest with you, I see another one. Another, the second one is mm, not specifically for Java developers, but for anybody who's moving from backend to frontend, in my opinion, it's CSS. Oh, yeah. Even for frontend. <laughs> Even from front end, it's yeah. Uh, it's moving from front end to front end CSS. Yeah, there's definitely two. I think two sides of like being a web developer or even a front end developer. Because I've met people who are like they call themselves front end developers, but they won't touch CSS. So yeah, it's it's very funny. <laughs> so basically, see, we are all uh, uh, challenged in terms of creating nice UI. I mean, one big uh, family. Yeah. And uh, especially Java developers, uh, see, when, when we create these ugly, boring um, gray screen with gray buttons, and uh, users should be happy that actually the app works. But uh, we shouldn't forget that every user these days, even these enterprise users, they have uh, smartphones in their pockets, like Android phones or iPhones with beautiful UI, with beautiful apps, and uh, they are kind of spoiled. They know that things can look nicer. And uh, CSS, learning CSS, learning layouts, uh, the latest techniques, uh, I think this is the main challenge. This is going to stay for a while. And uh, if you are a Java developer having extra spare time, I would highly recommend you to start uh, learning CSS because the rest is easy. Angular is easy for Java developers, but CSS <laughs> is not. I'm just laughing because there's still parts of Angular that are too back-endy that I haven't really conquered yet, but I could just do CSS like blindfolded. So it's just funny what you think is easy because, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, so you think for most Java people, though, that's the case? But, that, but that's the beauty. That's the beauty of, uh, of our uh, industry, right? Some, some people are more comfortable with this because of their experience, and some are more drawn to the more design you know, uh, side of things, and that's that's, and, and there's so many things to learn. So, you know, mm, yeah, everybody find their finds their place. Uh, in a small app, uh, probably CSS is not that bad. But uh, recently, I was uh, working on a project for a large uh, company that uh, makes cars, and. Uh, that app should look nice on different devices, of course. People should be able to purchase cars uh, from iPhones, from Android phones, from tablets. And uh, when something comes to, to adjusting CSS, it's not that straightforward. And besides that, for me still, it's hard to find logic in there. 
I mean, I can definitely go to Chrome and try to play with this width and height and try to adjust it. But in many cases, to me, it's still like uh, like a miracle when it, when it finally <laughs> works. <laughs> yeah, I feel the same. <laughs> so have you have you found found like um, that there are more like there, there are things that are um, like a spe- specific way of teaching stuff about Angular that are uh, more well received with Java developers? Like um, if I yeah. wanted to now start teach like a course for Java developers, what would work? So basically, Shai, you want to start competing with me. This is yeah, what that's, that's what I'm saying. I'm now and, open. And, and you expect me to give you a, an honest device, advice, right? <laughs> but All right. Off, Shai, you got to ask yourself, how shy are you? Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm too shy, so I might not compete uh, because I am shy. So uh, I, I'll explain you how I, how I go about it. I, yeah. I see, like, I have like two major directions in training. One of them is as I explain uh, specific elements. I, uh, I have a bunch of different apps. One app uh, de- de- describing a particular feature, like router, for example, or passing parameters in the router, or resolvers, or DI, or communication between components in a proper way. Uh, so all these things have uh, short apps, small apps. But on the other hand, uh, I also build an app throughout the course with attendees, uh, with participants. And when they do this, I mean, they are pretty happy seeing how they start with nothing. I mean, they run a command uh, like ng new, uh, whatever the app it is, and then they generate a bunch of components. And components uh, initially they show, for example, product works, header works, footer works, and all of a sudden, slowly but surely, the app becomes live, and. Uh, all of a sudden, menu works, navigation works. Uh, all of a sudden, data is coming from uh, from the server side and populate the screen. Uh, when we add Angular material, the app looks really nice and slick and modern. So as they gradually build an app, I think this reinforces their skills and uh, makes them gives them confidence. This nice. is what I do. Nice. So, so Yakov, what would you say is the adop- is the adoption like overall in Java for Angular? Would you does it seem like Angular is likely the most popular front end framework being used in the Java world, or is there still a lot of uh, like hodgepodge of older stuff? I can I can I can comment on this, of course, but I will give you a couple of different answers. The the first answer is. Are we talking about enterprises or we are talking about uh, uh, startups? The thing is, you probably have heard uh, that some people like to compare Angular and React. And uh, even though it's apple, apples to oranges, people still do this. And you can find a bunch of articles online titled something like this. Why I switched from Angular to React. And next day you find why I switch from React to Angular. And everybody has their reasons. Some uh, Next, uh, I'm talking about United States, geographical. If you are from the West Coast, where lots of startups are, most likely React is most popular. 
in the enterprise world on the East Coast, financial companies, telecommunication, uh, entertainment industry, insurance. This is where Angular rules. And the reason is pretty simple. Uh, if you will put yourself in the shoes of a development manager, Angular is a lot safer and it, it uh, carries less risk. And the reason is that Angular has everything is, that is required for developing an app. It has, uh, obviously, the way to render, it has components, it has services, it has routing, dependency injection, all build tools, uh, nice debugging, everything is there. Good UI libraries. And uh, let's say I have uh, a senior developer in our team, and this developer decides to leave. Uh, how, how can I replace this guy? I can replace it pretty easily by finding another senior developer who knows Angular. That's a requirement. The situation is not the same as React. Even though it's getting better, but React is just a library for rendering UI. There are some other libraries now which can do other things, but still, a senior developer, a lead on the project, should pick up a bunch of different libraries and tools a la carte, sort of. And if this guy decides to leave, then it's not that easy to replace this guy because I need to find somebody who knows specific uh, set of uh, libraries that was selected by uh, in this in this project in this app. So it's not that easy. So in um, on the West Coast, in in, in the Silicon Valley, uh, obviously startups hire great developers, and there are small teams. And for those developers, picking the library is irrelevant. They can create apps in in JavaScript. But in, on the enterprise world, it's a different story. In many cases, uh, uh, team leads don't even get to choose. Uh, who will work on this project. People come and people go there, uh, people uh, around the world and so on. So Angular, in my opinion, has less requirement for the skill level to produce an app comparing to React. So so I, I, I'm with you, but when I argue this point, uh, people uh, from, from uh, like, my friends from React or my friends from other frameworks tells me that, you know, when you say a senior developer, uh, so a senior developer, a senior JavaScript developer, let's say, uh, needs to know how to get into, you know, uh, a, a project with lots of libraries and, and figure uh, his or hers way in the project, right? So that's what makes them a senior. Uh, that they have the experience to read the source code or to, to dive into stuff and and all that. Um, so what, so and and you and you touched on it on the on the end of the of the the answer the, uh, where you said that you need less maybe you I think what you said is you need to be less skillful in all of the ecosystem in order to get into uh, a running project, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, what do you think about like the the senior? Because you started by saying senior developer, and I'm just wondering like what your take on on that. Like, do a, a senior uh, does a senior developer in your um, 
perspective needs to know everything or what what's con- what why is they consider uh, senior because they know CSS I already mentioned <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> absolutely yeah that's one reason no actually senior developer is a person who has background in software industry and know how to how things work together the only thing there is that with a- angular helps tremendously angular gives you everything that you need you don't need to go around trying to find uh, which library is a good fit for this or for that so uh, uh, learning angular is good enough uh, for a senior developer to start working on projects and deliver complex projects i can tell you um, the other story from the real world development uh, uh, when you see blogs or books or tutorials on angular uh, typically the assumption is that you have a greenfield situation let me start developing an angular project and you start from scratch you do engineer and everything goes this is not a thing that happens in the real world in the real world uh, over the last 1520 years people developed web app uh, front end and uh, these apps are in production they have users they have demands Uh, new requirements come in to make some improvements or maybe some bug fixes you cannot just come over and say you know what angular is the greatest thing in the world or react for that matter and let's rewrite everything so you you have to live in the environment with the existing tools and systems it was easier by the way in case of angular js AngularJS could run along with other frameworks or without frameworks, uh, but it's not that easy with Angular. So uh, the other problem that I see people face in the real world is the problem that is caused by multiple different frameworks and libraries that were introduced into a project over the years. any any app any large app that is in production today was developed over the years typically 5 6 7 years and uh, over these years new libraries and technologies were introduced and uh, i can tell you recently i was working on a project that was written in javascript of course and then uh, it had angular js not angular but angular js then all of a sudden i see there is a piece written in react then they they had different templating engine like uh, mustache for example on the front end and there was the other one from the java side the time leaf so some ui was generated over there and the biggest problem in this mixing tooling and different approaches is state management it is the biggest one uh, when i looked at the at uh, at the at a certain module of that app uh, i see that it's written in, in react i asked the manager why it is written in react if everything is not if everything if everything else he said we had a senior developer who said that react is great and he introduced it to us and we created this uh, piece in react great next requirement comes in and the user goes through multiple steps in this app there is a certain workflow 
And all of a sudden, they say, you know what? The user was working in this module and made some selections on the UI, and now he, he needs to go to, to a different module. And we want to remember everything that was selected in module A when the user will go to module B. Great. Uh, but when you start looking at module B, which was written in React, and state management was done in a certain way in React, and when we look at how you save state in the Angular, for example, JS section, we use uh, all these root scopes and different scopes and controllers, and in, in there you state, in some cases, uh, people were passing a state over from place to place by using uh, URL parameters attaching to the URL. In some, uh, in some cases, um, they were using local storage saving on the browser. So dealing with state become, the, uh, become one of the big problems when you have a mix of different toolings. So if, if somebody will ask me for an advice, uh, I want to tell you, you guys need to, to decide what are, you, what are you gonna do with the state, state management. If you can come up. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day intense workshop class for individuals or teams. They cover Angular 4 and 2 and focus on the skills and knowledge you need for complex, data-rich applications. They also still offer AngularJS for teams supporting older projects. Bring them to your site or send developers to them in St. Louis, San Francisco, New York, D.C., and other cities and online at angularbootcamp.com. Another, another problem I see... Uh, other, and I have a question about the state management uh, from your uh, perspective, but just before that, um, another problem that I see with, um, uh, with, with like choosing lots of different libraries is that once you get a certain point, like once you have the experience of going through, um, you know, updating one library and having it break with the rest because it's not compatible with the API of like, you know, the core thing. And once you go that route a couple of times, you get tired of keeping like all the balls up in the air and trying all the juggling. And you actually something like Angular, which covers for like the, the compatibility problem uh, with all the different pieces working together and te and well tested on every version, it becomes uh, a, 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 like something uh, very useful uh, for you if you want to keep up to date with the latest features and not deal with all the oh well, man this community uh, library open source library is not there yet and I now need to. Uh, issue a PR or I or switch or I don't know just hack my way or fork it or you know and I have like 17 of those and now I need to keep track so for the core parts at least I think having one uh, one uh, team that is responsible uh, to verify that is is a very 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 uh, useful thing to have and a major benefit I see. Uh, to Angular as an approach, right? Um, and and my question for you is is so you say you gave an example with Angular JS, but these days a popular uh, state management solution is 
uh, Redux. And I wonder what, what your thought about Redux as a state management solution. And do you see maybe an interoperability with, between like, you know, React and NGRX Angular apps? Uh, maybe that could be a good solution to coexist. So what's your take? You're touching a very uh, sensible subject, right? <laughs> I, can, I can tell you that I'll be running a workshop on NGRX uh, in, a, in two weeks or so. And this is one of these rare situations when I'll be teaching something that I understand, but I don't like. Really? So, <laughs> no, because uh, I'm, I, I'm really curious about that. Uh, why you don't like and why you are teaching it if you don't like it. Well, I teach it because it is in demand. I'm talking about NGRX, mm -hmm. specifically about NGRX. That's why I'm teaching it. And I will do a good job. I will explain it well, how it works, even though it is a complex thing to understand. Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, it's over-engineered. But let's go a step back. You, asked, you started asking about Redux first. Redux mm -hmm. is a simple thing. It's a unidirectional flow, state is in one place, reduce or update the state, and uh, the UI subscribe to the state. When um, NGRX was created, uh, NGRX was created specifically for Angular, and the uh, creators of NGRX obviously wanted to use the fact that Angular comes with React, sorry, with RxJS, with Reactive Extension Library, for reactive programming, observable, observables, and all these operators and all, all this fun. And so basically they married, they married simple Redux with not so simple RxJS, and they uh, produced a complex child, so to speak, of this marriage, uh, which is not easy to understand. And in my opinion, a good library is the one that uh, allows you to write less code. NGRX is a library that will require you to write more code, a lot more code. Most <laughs> of this code is a boilerplate code. It's to support life of NGRX itself. The code will become spread around different places and uh, it immediately raises the requirements for the level of a developer who will be reading your code. So that's why I think it's, um, it's overcomplicated. It's probably a decent solution for large apps when people really care about uh, having store objects, a large, sorry, state object in one place. But the thing is that Angular has already everything that is needed for this. I can tell you, uh, if you will create a service, and if you will declare this service at the module level, service becomes singleton, right? Yes. And yeah, unless you, it's a shared module, but yeah. All right. So it becomes singleton. If it is singleton, it's a central place where everybody, where every component can go and put stuff or get stuff from there. So technically, it's a nice place for state. If you will put in this service a, a behavior a subject, 
that will be emitting data. And behavior subject is the one that uh, not only is observable and observer. So you can push data, you can subscribe to data, but it also pushes the last value that was emitted uh, to the stream to every new subscriber who comes in. So what does it mean for state management? It means that if you have a component with this service injected, with this single service injected, you can add, you can invoke an API on this uh, service, like add product, for example, or find products. Inside of that product, you do next on the behavior subject. And whoever is subscribed now is uh, getting the value. And this value that was pushed initially becomes state. You can push an object and behavior subject remembers it. So let's say another mm, subscriber comes in, or let's say we have a router situation. This component goes out of the picture. You just click on the next link. Another component comes in and subscribes to the same service. It gets injected and so it subscribes. It'll get the, the previously pushed value meaning the state of the app. So by using uh, this uh, uh, singleton injectable service with behavior subject, many small or medium-sized apps can solve their state management problems with Angular uh, features itself without the need to add any libraries. And RxJS, yes. Uh, I mean, RxJS is very minimal. In that case, you just need to create a subject and you need to subscribe to it. Uh, yeah, but you need to, to handle also unsubscriptions and stuff like that. It's not like, uh, you know, just like uh, one thing because you need to be aware of when you route away from your component. Now you all of a sudden need to unsubscribe and all that. N stuff. Not necessarily, not necessarily. If you're not using a pipe async and stuff. Exactly. Exactly. If you are using a sync, a sync pipe, and why components subscribe to the service? Why? To, to render something, to show it on the UI. So a component is created, uh, the service is injected in the constructor right away, and you subscribe right away. Actually, you don't subscribe. You invoke an API that returns observable. And on the UI, you have a sync pipe, so you don't need to worry about unsubscription. But now let's talk about NGRX architecture, how things work over there. So you you press the button, find me something. You, the user enters some, something on the UI. Well, there are multiple players that will support this unidirectional flow. First of all, you're going to have store. Inside the store, you will have reducer, which is a function where you are expected to write a switch statement to handle different actions. Action is a command. Now you, need, now you need to create an action class which will have type and possibly payload. And for each action, you need to create classes. So if you have five actions, you have five classes right there. Now you need to have an enumeration of possible action types, of course. Then the action could be intercepted not only in reducer, but also in so-called effects class. A reducer is just to deal with state object. And it is great, actually, that this is, there is a central place for the state object, and reducer just changes state. 
But the thing is that reducer is a pure function that is not that cannot reach out and try to get data from an environment or change data in the environment. Meaning, it cannot make HTTP requests, for example. It cannot write in the in the console. It cannot do lots of things. So who can? Now we have effects classes. Effects class is the one that also can listen to the actions. And the effect class will get service injected now. Now the service injected in the effect, uh, effect will, it will pick up a certain action. It'll invoke the service. The service will return successful uh, success and maybe some data or an error. Then effect needs to fire another action. And that, that action will go back to the reducer who needs to handle it. And the UI supposed to subscribe for the state. To get a different slice of the state in the UI, you need to write so-called selectors. So, so the selector can give you a, par a part of the state, a slice of the state object. So when you finish writing all that, you have tons of extra classes and functions uh, to support this uh, unidirectional uh, workflow and uh, and the store as a single source of truth. I understand how it works, but uh, actually this will be the first uh, class that I will teach. I will. I'm curious to see how people will take it. So, uh, but uh, so I'm not a big Redux user, but I just like imagine that or uh, think that it. Also, probably be the case with Redux, not just NGRX in like a large scale project, because you also have this like lots of boilerplate code you need to add in order on every single you know move you want to make, right? Everything needs to be an action and stuff like that. And so, from what I understand uh, from your answer is that for your large scale apps, you're not using NGRX. Are you using a Redux style or just the services with the behavior subject? I can tell you that we started with NGRX and then we switched back to services with behavior subjects. But I can also tell you that probably a couple of days ago, I noticed a really nice library called NGXS. Oh, you stole my pick for today. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. All right, so I'll stop right there. But no, 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 no. no. Let's elaborate. It's a, uh, no, no. I, I don't know the library yet. I just read the documentation. But to me, it makes a lot more sense. Everything is built on on annotations, less of a boilerplate, and it gives me a really nice feeling. So I'm planning to try it out. But yeah, we actually had uh, Austin, the creator, uh, on one of the last episodes, uh, like talking about, I think it was on that or just one, like a library before that, which led to this uh, library NGXS. And yeah, to me, it also looks very clean, like much cleaner and reduces uh, lots of the boilerplate and a lot of decorators instead of, uh, but it's still like the same for everything you need to create like you know an action and an effect and you know all that stuff so i'm 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 playing with this uh, also these days and trying it out but so you watch that 
but but you switch you said that you switch to services and behavior subjects for now for now it fits the bill i don't want to be misunderstood i don't want to say that ngrs is bad no it is a good solution for large apps for people who are not afraid uh, of uh, writing lots of additional code and of having code spread among different files you you will get used to it of course when you will learn it but uh, there are benefits definitely the benefits having the state in the same place the state is immutable there are tools that allow you to go back in state if need be and uh, this could be definitely a solution for some apps but uh, i'm talking from my experience in our apps for now we are not using it that much Besides, NGRX evolves as well, so I'm pretty sure that it, it'll become simpler over the upcoming months or maybe years. Hopefully months. Okay, so from you said a lot of good things about Angular. Uh, I wonder what, in, other than uh, you said, you mentioned uh, Angular elements like widgets uh, solutions and which are cross, uh, cross I don't know, uh, frameworks or stuff, um, and maybe state management. What, what are like, you know, uh, weak, the weakest links you see when you teach about Angular? Like, where do people get confused or, you know, or what do you experience with Angular that could be better? It's not that uh, it could be better. For many people that I see uh, in the classrooms, the concept of reactive programming are uh, not as easy to understand immediately because not many people were using it, even though Rx uh, libraries exist in different languages. For example, I was using Rx Java, which is a really nice um, nice uh, library. And uh, But you have to get used to a little bit different way of thinking about the workflow in your app to appreciate what uh, RxJS gives you. You have to look at the data flow, assuming that your data is, um, your data stream goes through multiple small functions, and each function gives you a certain uh, processing of one little thing and then it goes to the next function and then to the next function as opposed to writing a class and um, say I I want to call this function and now I want to call that function I want to call this function that's a bit different yeah declarative I, versus imperative correct uh, I all I in my uh, classes I uh, use examples with beers in many occasions because uh, when people start explaining RxJS, they say, see that? I invoke interval and it will fire one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's a great example, of course. But who needs something that will fire one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in the real world? But when mm -hmm. I start talking about beer, everybody understands this concept. <laughs> and in particular, I show them a diagram of the beer process. You know how the beer flows through multiple stations? And every station will do a certain thing in the brewery process. For example, filter. If you want unfiltered beer, you will remove that filter station from this process 
If you want it back, you will put it back. But the flow goes through algorithms of your uh, app. And each al nice. algorithm is an operator technically, right? So it's an operator in RegJS that you apply to the stream. So each station in this beer brewing process is an operator and the stream is a stream and people, people get it. But still, it's a large piece to learn. So I don't think, I'm not saying it's a weak point of Angular, not at all. But I do believe that uh, people need to spend some time trying to get comfortable with uh, RxJS concepts. Nice. I like the, it's very clever, the example. If you, if you, if you like that example, you should watch um, our, our talk at NGConf this year. Me and Pete Bacon Darwin and Mike Brocky are going to do a talk about switch map, mm -hmm. which is the most common used, but we, what we see is the most common um, source of confusion when using uh, mm -hmm. I, RxJS and we we also found a, a, I think a, an unusual example to teach that. No, so. I, I'd I'd love to see that presentation because I also pay special attention to switch map. I think it's a super powerful operator in general. Yeah, yeah. But but surprisingly, a person I don't want to offend anyone, but a person who wrote documentation on switch map for RxJS, I have an, an opinion that this person had a goal to write something that nobody will ever understand. <laughs> and I went through that and I didn't get it. And surprisingly, this was the case when the marble diagram helped me a lot. Even though marble diagram for switch map is not the most easier to understand, but it was easier than yeah. documentation. So we, well, actually have, we actually have a joke about that as well. So <laughs> stay tuned. All right. It's also... It's also important to understand that switch map is is still also complex. So it's you're talking about a real challenge to explain it clearly. You know, it's not it's not the kind of thing somebody's going to sit down and I'm going to go explain this and then come up with it. Switch maps it's complex. Yeah, no, but uh, but I, I I can tell you how I explain it. I mm, I wrote a little app. I found um, I found a weather server, a server that everybody can go and get the weather in your city weather being temperature, humidity, and some other things. They return JSON. So I wrote a little app where the users start typing uh, the name of the city in the input field on the UI. This is, an, uh, this is an outer stream, so to speak, right? And I subscribe to this input using form API and value changes property, of course, which is an observable, right? So that's the first observable. And what do I do? I give it to the inner observable, which is a function that makes a HTTP request to this weather server, right? And then what I do, I emulate the slowness of the network. Slowness. And you go to the, to the Chrome browser and there is this option, instead of online, you can select slow 3G. And the I keep typing the name of the city, for example, New York. But because the network is very slow, the request went out, a response didn't come back yet, the inner observable, right? The user keeps typing the letters of the city, it's an outer observable. The outer observable emits the next part or maybe the whole city name, 
And the switch map operator switches from one inner observable being unfinished request, HTTP request, to a newer one to send the request to the newly emitted city name. And then I, when I look, when I looked, uh, when I show people the network tab of the browser, they can clearly see how unfinished requests get abandoned. And this is when it clicks. Uh, I'm talking about switch map. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it helps. It's uh, it surely helps to see the actual code and to see the actual effect of the operator uh, to get it. And uh, so you said Rx uh, is one one thing that people struggle with, which we 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 see a lot, like uh, as well. And what maybe other thing that you, that you see? Um, maybe testing, testing, testing of the UI is something that requires uh, special attention and some clearness in your mind. What exactly do you want to test? And uh, what doesn't help is the tests that are generated initially by Angular CLI. Not yeah. all tests, not all tests. Some, some helps. But for example, when you open up the first unit test for the app component, you will see that the first test is to check if the instance of app component class was successfully created. Yeah. Come, come on. What are the chances <laughs> that instance will not be created? Why do you confuse people? Why do you give this example? I, I smell a PR coming. <laughs> no, I will be not doing PR, but uh, if you want to help people, give some real-world example. So this is some, something that is, I'd like to see more uh, real-world example of testing. Uh, and especially, it shouldn't be that difficult for Angular team, uh, given the fact that Angular team is really well covered with tests. I remember when the framework was in alpha, there were no books at all, no blogs, nothing. So unit tests of Angular code helped me to understand what's, what this specific feature is supposed to do. So Angular team is great about implementing unit tests, but I think they should somehow deliver a better message of what people should do in real-world apps in terms of testing. Yeah. That's unit tests. Now, protractor. Protractor is a big thing. I mean, it's uh, under the hood. It has the huge machinery of all these Selenium uh, drivers and servers and everything. So this is also something that uh, needs to be addressed better than it is now. How to properly uh, use uh, Protractor. The other thing that is not obvious and I think many people want to do this. How to split work in the enterprise environment between different teams? What if you have if you have several apps that should be developed in your enterprise? Team A, Team B, and Team C is able to work on, on several apps. What, uh, how does this work should be organized? Well, we have a shell app that will somehow load each of these apps individually. Or maybe it's better to, to create a shell app and modules, and all these modules will be loaded individually. Will be something that is shareable 
between this module, how to identify that, what to do with versioning of the app. If you have these three groups and three apps, can a, a group A uh, change something or make a patch in their code and deploy it separately from everybody else? So these are the things that are important for real-world uh, development. Did you see the Narwhal uh, extensions? I didn't see that, no. I, I know what you're talking about, but I did not see that. Okay, so I wonder when, if you'll try it, uh, what your thoughts would be. Maybe we could do another episode on enterprise uh, division because uh, that's... That's yeah. That's another another issue. That but uh, uh, are you saying that uh, the, these extensions are specifically geared toward uh, uh, problems that enterprises are facing? Yeah, that's that's mainly their goal was to introduce like a common way to split the like the big app into smaller apps and how they communicate. So they actually wrote a schematics that generate stuff in that way. So. That's that that will be an interesting thing for you guys to to check and yeah. see. If yeah, works we'll, we'll check it out. Right. Yeah. It sounds like uh, we're ready to end. We have been going for quite a while. I've had a lot of good discussion. So I think we're probably it's probably time to wrap up and move on to picks. Don't you think? Yeah, sounds good. All right, uh, but before we do, of course, I also want to ask: Is there anything else that should have been covered that we really didn't touch on? I, I can actually make some other comments. And actually, maybe I'll do this in the picks section, right? So, is it? Yeah. All right. Um, Go ahead, Jai. Yeah. So, maybe we could do it on an, uh, maybe we can invite you uh, to another episode. We are planning to do another episode about testing. We just did like the last episode about uh, TDD and, and such. And we plan to do an episode about dome testing versus class testing. So it will be interesting to see what you think about that as well. But just want to comment on that. But yeah, we can go to peaks and wrap it up. Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere available from any device uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Okay, Shai, well, you're up. You got your picks. Oh, yeah. So uh, one pick, yeah, uh, was NGXS, <laughs> which I didn't know is gonna, uh, going to be mentioned. So I think it's, um, it's a very interesting uh, way to solve the boilerplate problem. Um, and uh, Austin is, is awesome and is doing a good job. So I urge you to check that out. And another... So Austin's thing, right? 
Yeah, Austin McDaniels. Um, and just search for NGXS and check it out and see what you think. Uh, and my other pick is a library of uh, a very good friend of mine, Uri Shaked, who you probably know. And he created a library called TypeWiz, which he needed to, to uh, migrate an older project which had no types whatsoever into TypeScript. So he created a tool that uh, just scan your source files and automatically adds and interpolates your source code and automatically adds types into your source code. So that got like lots of waves and in the social media and many people, and he actually wrote, I think, two blog posts. Uh, about how he created it and the internals and his process to create it and his lesson learned and all that stuff. So very cool if you need to add types to an untyped, <laughs> um, maybe a JavaScript project or maybe like uh, that you want to turn into TypeScript, definitely check that out. So it's TypeWiz. Those are my picks. Okay, awesome. So I have got two picks. One related to today's topic, and that is uh, John, Papa, and Dan Wallin have been working on something very similar to what Austin has done. It took a little bit different approach, and that's called NGRX Data. And I think that they're going to be presenting on it at NGConf, which will be interesting. But again, just an attempt to reduce the boilerplate of NGRX, and uh, they've been pretty successful in what they've done. So that'll be my first pick. And my second pick is a book that I've been listening to, which is called Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And I'm a huge fan of uh, these nonfiction books about human behavior and stuff like this. And it's a really interesting book. And I want to, you know, it has kind of a categorization um, about success. It's kind of, it's a, the, the subtitle is actually pretty good. Why the surprising science behind why everything you know about success is mostly wrong. And I've been fascinated listening to this book. It talks about a lot of stuff that's very interesting and uh, very useful. So I highly recommend it. Just a little bit into the book. I'm just a couple of hours, I think, into the book and still just absolutely fascinated by it. So that, that's my second and final pick. What's Again, the name? Uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. Okay. Yakov, how about you? I'll download this book. I have an account with uh, Audible, so I'll I have five or six credits that I didn't use, so yeah. I'll do it right away. <laughs> yeah, that's where I've been listening to it. Absolutely great book. Okay, thanks. Uh, I want to, since we are talking about Angular for Java developers, I want to draw your attention to the project that we never mentioned in this podcast, but it's really a solid project. It's called J Hipster. Have you ever discussed it? On this podcast, I I don't remember. I don't think so, but I don't know. But uh, so I, I highly recommend it to invite people who develop this library and uh, talk about it. It's um, it's a library which has um, uh, four hundred contri contributors. It has ten thousand stars on GitHub, and it generates for you an app which has Angular on the front end and Java Spring a framework on the server side with different architectures. You can generate an app that has that is monolithic app, 
where Java piece and Angular piece are together. You can generate an app which will create microservices. It'll create UI right away. It'll give you stats and the use. I mean, it is. Uh, it has discovery services. It has support of Docker. You name it. They have everything in there. So I highly recommend you to look at JHipster, and uh, their site is just jhipster.tech, T-E-C-H. Actually, I can give you a link. I I was using it for some time, and I I I can say that this is much more known or better known in the Java community than for some reason in the community. I'm surprised why that. And if you guys could invite people from JHipster, they'll be happy to to explain how this works. I was doing also presentations in local user groups. It is really, really solid framework, and they keep actively working on it. As I said, 400 contributors. It's not a nice. joke. Yeah. Cool. So that would be my pick. Uh, also, if somebody wants to, if somebody is a Java developer who is listening to this podcast and never uh, tried uh, Angular, uh, uh, I would uh, suggest you to Google on one of my talks called Angular for Java Developers. There are videos online. Last year alone, I did two talks, one in DevOps uh, in uh, in California, and in November of this year, I did like a demo and explanation and like a mini workshop in Belgium, DevOps Belgium. Uh, so it may help you to see a big picture of how Angular works with uh, Java. In that case, I'm using uh, Spring Framework for Java. In general, to be honest with you, I'm mainly speaking at Java conferences about Angular, which is a surprise, but this is how it works these days. Large conferences and people are interested. Why, why will, we, will we see you at NGConf? No, no. I have other plans. Oh, Maybe next year. Maybe. <laughs> cool. So thank you so much. Yakov, for this episode and yeah, really. the wonderful answers and uh, knowledge. Uh, and I think we should do more episodes. Uh, I'm sure we have still a lot to talk about. And uh, good luck with, uh, with the training and migrating lots of Java developers to Angular. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate this. I really like your podcast and I will keep listening, of course. Sweet. <laughs> Thanks. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.